it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 326. We are going to answer three great listener questions. But before we dive into that, if you have a burning question or something you really want to know more about, please send us your questions. We love to answer them on the air. You can do that at newsletter at einvestingforbeginners.com. I will put that in the show notes so you'll be able to see it on your phone or on your computer while you're at work listening to the podcast when you shouldn't be. So with that, we'll go ahead and dive into the first question. So here we go. This is from Maddie. Can you do an episode that discusses growth? I would love to know both your thoughts on it, how it can relate to value and how we can utilize it in our portfolio. Thanks. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on growth and value and how they can use it? Well... You can't value something without knowing how much it grows. So if I take an investment like a bond, I know a bond, I buy a bond, it's going to give me a coupon of $100, maybe over 10 years. Based on those numbers, it's going to tell me how much that bond is worth. A bond that's giving me a coupon that's going up every year, maybe I'm getting 100 bucks and 200 bucks and 300 bucks. that bond's going to be worth more to me and I'll pay more for it than the bond with just flat payments. And so it's the same with investments. It's the same with businesses. It's the same with stocks. The higher the growth, the more valuable a stock is. The problem is that growth in the future can be very, very hard to predict. And just because you've done something in the past doesn't mean you can do it in the future. So we can go down a million different roads and that's why growth and value can be so such a complicated topic, but in general, you want higher growth and that's going to give you higher value. Do you see that somewhat similarly, Dave? Yes, I definitely do. If you look at, there have been studies that have been done and they show that one of the 
longest ranging, one of the biggest impacts on value of a company is growth of revenue. And over the longest period of time, that is the one thing, the biggest thing that will make an impact on how valuable the company is over a long period of time. And if you look at the history of the stock market and you look at some of the most dominant companies in the markets, whether it's newer companies today, like a Microsoft or a Google, or maybe an older school company like Microsoft from the 2000s or Cisco, even going back farther, you look at some of the oil companies, all of those companies were growing revenues faster than the GDP. And that is what prompted them to be long-range valuable companies. AT&T, even though it's can be a bit of a dog, sorry out there, AT&T investors, but for 50 years, it was one of the dominant companies in the market. And GM was the same. General Electric, GE was the same. A lot of these companies, when they were dominant companies, they were also growing revenues. IBM, you know, all these companies that are, are quote, old school companies all grew revenues faster than GDP, which helped them propel them to higher and higher valuation heights. And they were more valuable companies because they were generating greater and greater amounts of revenue. And if you look at Amazon over the last 20 years, that's been a big part of their story. Walmart maybe hasn't grown as fast as Amazon has, but they've. if you look at their revenue growth over the last 20 years, it's pretty astounding. And if you think of the amount of revenue that they're growing too, that's an astounding number. So I think all those things kind of go to show that, yeah, the revenue growth from revenue will you know lead to value for the company. And over a long period of time, that's one of the big drivers of value of a company. Yeah, I think it was Michael Mobison. He said he had a paper he wrote where he examined the stock price returns for companies over a long period of time and the drivers of that. And Peter Lynch had also said something similar. So Peter Lynch said, if you look at earnings per share and you map it to stock price, they're almost one to one. And he had his own list of companies that was relevant back in the 90s. But Mobison says that earnings per share or profits it is the best way to grow it long-term sustainably is through revenue growth, like Dave is saying. So there are companies that they can do it maybe for five years, 10 years, where they can grow earnings and profits just from efficiency and doing things like that. But if you want growth that's longer, more sustainable, it has to come from revenue growth. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the value kind of stocks... I think if you look just as a generalization, a lot of value stocks have less than ideal revenue growth. And when you're an investor who's in the accumulation stage trying to build your wealth, those probably not going to be the companies you want to stick with for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's a good point. I think another thing, when you think about growth versus value, that's always the tug of war that people always talk about. Oh, growth stocks versus value stocks. And Warren Buffett has said many times that he he thinks of them both equally. They're, you can't have one without the other. And that's really when you find the best companies, you find companies that are still growing revenues. And you, if you think about it logically, it makes sense because that means that the business is producing services and products that people want. The longer that they continue to do that, the more valuable that becomes. And so it's logical. It makes sense. And when you think about some of those long-term old school companies that I was talking about, 
they were producing products and services that people wanted for a long period of time. And Apple has been doing that for a very long time, you know, first with their computers, now with the iPhones and Microsoft with their products. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But Andrew's point about it becoming profitable, that's really the thing you have to really kind of, I guess, kind of think about a little bit is that all companies can grow revenues to a certain point, but at some point they have to air quote grow up and they have to start being more efficient and they have to produce profits because those are the things that are going to sustain them over a long period of time. They can be negative. They can be negative profits for a period of time, but it can't go on forever. And at some point they have to grow up and that's, if you look at Tesla, that's one of the things that they've done. Now, granted, they're a bit of a freak because they're still growing revenues at 40 50%, which is kind of nuts when you think about base rates and what's air quote normal for companies. What they're doing is a little out of the norm, but they've also become a lot more profitable, which is what's leading them to be a, an even more and more valuable company as they and generate more and more profits because that's what we all want. And I think the last thing I want to throw, the last log I want to throw on this fire is when you think about growth versus value, value is really based on a dislocation of the price versus the value in the stock market. It really doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the fundamentals of the company per se. Google can be a value stock. Meta was a value stock for a while. A year ago, it was hated <laughs> and it was very much a value stock. But if you looked at the overall fundamentals of Meta, they weren't that dissimilar to what they're doing now. They're maybe a little more profitable because they're, it's the year of profitability, according to Zuck. But you get what I'm saying is that when you're looking at a value stock, most of the time, what you're really looking at is a dislocation of what it's really worth in the stock market versus what's going on fundamentally with the company. Now, of course, there are different shades of value. And we've talked about that in the past, that you can find deep value companies that are basically cigar butt things that you're just trying to get a one or two puffs out of. And then you can also look at companies that maybe have fallen out of favor for a period of time like Meta or Netflix more recently. And the price gets dislocated from what's really going on with the company. But I always go, but when I think about this argument or when I think about this growth idea, to me, they go hand in hand with valuing a company. You want to find a company that's growing and you want to find it for or less than the price that you would want to pay for it. Kind of like buying a car. You want to buy a car for less than it's worth and drive it off a lot. So same with the stocks. Yeah, well said. Do you have a long-term mindset searching for safe compounders? So am I. And I'm investing my entire life savings with the picks from valuespotlight.com. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. 
Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Thanks. Okay. All right. Get off my soapbox. Let's move on to the next question. So I've been loving the podcast for one to two years now, and it's been helping me to invest. How do you guys keep track of your investments? Purchase cost, sale, dates, dividends, profit made for tax, etc. So this is from Liam. So this is a great question as well. Probably doesn't surprise you. I have a spreadsheet. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I I keep it pretty diligently, but I also know that there's easier ways to keep track of it for average investors who maybe don't want to dive in super super deep. I mean. Our brokers will send you something at the end of the year if it's a credible broker. So you can see where you've bought stuff, sold it, how much profit you made, how much you should have in taxes, all that stuff you can kind of estimate from them. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I do it. How about you? I do a combination of all of those things. So I have a spreadsheet that I started keeping. Andrew Influence, of course. I also use Seeking Alpha and... FinChat.io or our old friend Stratosphere from Braden. They also have the ability now to track your portfolio on there. So you can show the dates you bought, the the prices you bought. I'm not sure about dividends. I haven't looked at that as well. But that's one way that you can kind of track your returns with that. And then I also use Fidelity, my main broker, to keep track of of everything. And it's, it's nice because on the Fidelity app, you can go on there and you can see what your your purchase cost was you can also see what your what your blended cost is so if you've bought more than one time you can see kind of what your cost basis is for the the investment so you can see kind of what return you've made and you can see when you bought it and everything like that and i suppose if you dived in deeper you could see what kind of profit you made for taxes and things of that nature so i find it's the easiest way for me to look at that stuff if i could just talk about something that irritates me is which i guess for taxes it's a good thing but when you reinvest a dividend it increases to your cost basis Mm. so if you're running a portfolio online like I am and trying to show that you're generating alpha cost basis column can be kind of misleading. Right. As far as like 
my individual accounts. I don't sell those stocks very often, but if I do, a good rule of thumb for me has been if I made a hundred bucks of gain on the stock, I would keep 25% of it and just have it ready for taxes for capital gains tax. It's a very rough number. Mm-hmm. It kind of gets you in the ballpark and I don't do it for dividends, but I could probably do it for dividends too. Mm-hmm. I admit I don't do any of those things because I very rarely sell. And so I don't necessarily get too excited about that. And then the dividend tax to me is generally not that much. So I don't get too excited about it. But the I know Fidelity will send you a form that will show you it's a I don't remember what the designation is, but they will send you a form with whatever taxes you are going to owe. So you can send that to your accountant to make it easy. But Andrew's idea, if you do sell to kind of set aside money to prepare for that, I think is a really smart idea. You know, they have this thing too. Have you ever heard of it? It's called like a statement. Yeah. A statement? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, that like used to be a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have so to like dig for it now. Right. <laughs> Kind of like balancing your checkbook. Yeah, yeah. I put yeah. that in the same category. Right. Those are the things they send you monthly, right? <laughs> it could be like a journey just trying to figure out where that is for different brokerage accounts. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I, I get it. If you don't yeah. have the time, I get it. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think Liam's question is a really good one because it is a good idea. I guess I'm torn. It's a good idea to keep track of your investments, but it's probably not a good idea to keep track of them every day. And yeah. so I think there has to be for kind of what he's doing, maybe, maybe towards maybe being a little more organized and really understanding how much is costing him, how much he's making and what he needs to kind of plan for, for taxes is probably a good idea. But I think the idea of tracking it every day or I haven't looked at my portfolio in a week, if not longer. So I don't know how I'm doing. And I'm okay with that because the companies I bought, I'm intending to hold for a while. And I, if I just look at them every once in a while, I think that's good enough. I mean, I'm reading up on them, but it's just, I don't look and see, you know, what the day-to-day movement is on Ajin because I just don't care. So I think there's some value certainly to what Liam's asking, but I guess I would hesitate to suggest anybody do these things on a daily basis or look at their, I guess, what are your thoughts on looking at your portfolio and kind of updating all this stuff on a regular basis? Well, so that's the thing too, is my spreadsheet on Google Sheets autofills for me. So <laughs> of course I don't is. have to go in. <laughs> of course it is. Go in and type numbers in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm probably looking at that particular spreadsheet maybe once a month, maybe, maybe once a week. Mm. Something like that, right? It's okay. very, it's not very common, but I am on Seeking Alpha every day like a junkie. Right. Just like, what's up today? What's down? I just can't help myself. Um, <laughs> but there's totally, you can totally take that to an extreme. And mm-hmm. I think if you're part time, especially, like you're probably doing more harm than good. Right. Yeah, for sure. Do you think this would be different if you built a portfolio of individual stocks versus maybe half a dozen ETFs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like what's the point of checking the ETF, right? Unless you were trying to rebalance, but even then people say rebalancing should be done once a year at most, maybe twice right. a year. Right. An ETF of pick any industry, cloud companies, is not just going to disappear tomorrow. Right. There's going to be enough companies in there that are going to drive it unless mm-hmm. we don't use the cloud tomorrow, which there'd be bigger issues. Right. What if you had more of a mixture of investments? Like if let's say you had some real estate, maybe you had some more 
fixed assets like gold or Bitcoin mixed in all that, would that be something you would probably try to track as well? I don't know. It's hard for me to answer because I don't do it. Right. What about you? I don't do it either. I would think that there would be, it would probably be beneficial just like a stock to track you know, your purchase costs, any sales dates, any profit you made for taxes with with some of the fixed assets like like a gold or Bitcoin. Real estate, I think, would be harder because if you own physical real estate, it would be harder to track investment unless you're generating rent income from it. But if it's something that you own and you're not necessarily generating revenue from it, it's an appreciating asset, then you have to get an appraisal and that costs you money and that you know, how often do you really need to do that? I guess that's not an answer I have. It's not a question I have an answer for in that respect. Stock pickers, just keep it simple, man. Yep. Yep. I agree. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's move on to the last question. So we got Dave and Andrew. Been listening to the podcast for almost a year. Enjoy listening to each episode the day they drop. I recently had an interesting thought as I've gotten more into investing and thinking of my financial future. My current company matches 6% on my 401k. When I first started with the company, I signed up for an escalator. I did my original match at 6% and set it up for a 1% increase each year. I'll be at 14% total starting in 2024. So that's this year. Mine is also a Roth 401k. Prior to my current company, my prior employer's retirement account turned into a rollover IRA once I left. I still have this account to this day. I can contribute up to $6,500 a year. I'm assuming this may change in 2024. I still contribute about $100 a month to this account. I always keep my 6% match on my 401k, but should I only match 6% and then max out my rollover 401 IRA? Doing the math, if I stop contributing past the 6%, I can max out my rollover. I've been investing in a mix of ETFs and stocks. Any advantages that I'm missing for the 401k or the rollover Roth? The more I get into investing, I'm not sure I want to just send my surplus 401k money just into a retirement account. Thanks for your time. This is from Dylan. So this is a fantastic question. So what are your thoughts on Dylan's great question? Yeah, good question, Dylan. So he's saying I always will match 6% on the 401k, mm-hmm. but then he might have extra money and he's wondering if he should put more in the 401k or put into an IRA or just do other things with the money. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the gist I was getting from the question. Yeah, me too. 
I just can't get over the line. Like, I just want to send my surplus 401k money just into a retirement account. Right. I guess if that's what you want to do, like, by all means, right? It's your life. You live it. If you find more value by consuming it or doing something else with the money, then that's, that's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about specifically from a maximization, optimization, trying to build long lasting net worth perspective, then the retirement accounts will be the better way to go because you're getting the tax shield on them. And even though, yes, you know, if I withdraw from my retirement accounts early, yes, I'll have to pay penalties and probably pay back taxes on it. And, you know, they're, they're, it can be confusing. You can do the research, it can be confusing. You're still getting that tax shield up to a certain point. And so you can, in theory, tap that money later on if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so why not take whatever tax shield you can get now? And if you need the money, if you need the money in the future, you can you can take the penalties. I don't know. I mean, you only get a chance to max out your IRA once, right? So right. I think from a wealth building perspective, it makes more sense to take advantage of the retirement accounts mm-hmm. rather than paying taxes on on just regular money. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess, could we back up for a second and maybe explain to people what is a rollover IRA for those out there that don't understand what that is? So I had one of these years ago, but basically I had like a 401k account and it was stuck at an old employer and I'm not working with that company anymore. So I was like, what do you do with the retirement account? One of the things they can do is, so it doesn't sit with your employer, they get it off their books and they roll it over and it becomes an IRA, which is the same kind of account that we recommend for people who can qualify. And it gives you a tax savings tax shield on either the money that's coming in or the money you're withdrawing, depending on if you do a traditional or if you do a Roth. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess a question I would have for Dylan, if he has, if the rollover IRA does not allow him to invest in individual stocks, then would that be that much different other than receiving the match from his 401k? Well, I would be shocked if they didn't let him buy individual stocks. Mm. Because it's just, I mean, I know they call it a rollover IRA, but once it's been rolled over, it's just a regular IRA. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess, is he missing out, do you think, on any advantages by contributing to the, the 401k versus the rollover? Yeah, I would say if you're doing more in the 401k, then you lose that exact flexibility that you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. Where with the 401k, you probably have a limited menu option on what you want to invest in. Right. And most IRAs are a pretty all-you-can-eat idea. Mm-hmm. So I guess I talked about some of the benefits of the IRA, which is flexibility. You get to choose more investing options. What's the benefits of the flip side of that, which would be just continue putting more and more money into the 401k instead of, which he has a Roth 401k, mm-hmm. putting more and more money into that versus putting more money into his traditional rollover IRA. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think probably the two things that kind of pop to mind when I think about the potential advantages for that. Number one is he would be continuing to get the match that he gets from investing in the 401k, which we've talked about before, is free money. And if I kind of read this correctly, he was set up originally with it being a uh, graduated 
escalator. So it could go up to 14%. I think that's what he said earlier in the question. I guess I'm, I'm not sure if that's continuing with his new company or not. If it is, then that's an additional free percentage of money he gets every year that it goes up. And so that would be, you know, if you're getting 14% return for free money, that's pretty good. And so that would be an advantage. And I think the other thing that would be an advantage is when you have a 401k and you have more limited options to choose from, it also takes away the indecision bias. It it takes away that, I don't know what to buy. And so you don't buy anything idea. And so it can make you, it can keep you a lot more focused. And if you want to buy individual stocks, those are other things you can spend more time on because your 401k is kind of already set and done for you. And it just happens in the background. You don't even see it. And it's a great way to really continue to grow your wealth without having to. It's kind of on autopilot in essence. You don't have to do a lot. And that can be very freeing, especially if you're trying to maybe buy complicated things on the individual stock side. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're basically taking the dynamite out of your hands. Yes. And greatly reducing the chances that you blow yourself up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any way that we can do that can be very, very beneficial. Humans on our own can do a lot of damage sometimes. What would you say if if he's wanting to kind of go the not retirement money account, but he's still trying to grow his wealth? What would you say to that? Like, what kind of advice would you give? I think a lot of it would depend on... I mean, it's all going to come back to what his risk tolerance is and how much effort and time he's really going to want to put into being more in charge of his own investments. There's a lot of people, myself included, Andrew included, that really enjoy this and love it and get a lot of value out of it. Plus it helps us grow our wealth. But there are a lot of other people out there that maybe don't want to spend the time to do that. And that can lead to trouble. Because if you go into investing individual stocks as part-time basis or maybe a as a hobby, I'm going to spend five minutes reading about company B and make a decision to buy it, I think those things are probably, they don't go great together. I think you need to spend a little more time thinking about what it is you want to buy, why you want to buy it, how long you want to hold it, prices, all those things. And if you are doing it on your own, yeah, I think you really need to have a plan and you really need to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And you need to be, in essence, serious about it to a certain extent. And I think if you're going to invest that way, then I think having the 401k as a part of your portfolio is a great thing because it can still grow your wealth even while you're trying to build it outside of that. Because again, that 6% is really, really hard to give up. It is. So if I were to go to like day one of you discovering stock picking... Did you know what your risk tolerance was at the time? And how did you know that? I didn't. And I thought I did, but I didn't. (laughs) And it really wasn't until I started doing it that I really started to discover, okay, I can handle this, but I can't handle these things. And really, that was only through experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, you know, there's probably a lot of people that maybe they've had more experience gambling, for example. I was, I've never been a gambler. And so I don't really have a lot of experience with volatility per se, if you will. Being up you know, a lot and being down a lot at the same time at, at the poker table is not something I've experienced. And so 
I had to learn it in the stock market and experience can be an expensive teacher, but sometimes it's the best teacher. And I really didn't learn. I wouldn't have learned. Let me rephrase that. I wouldn't have learned and started down this path that, that we're on now if I hadn't failed beyond Microsoft because I would have just kept going with what I was doing because I, I wouldn't have realized that, hey, <laughs> you don't always win. And I guess the effort and the knowledge and desire to get better really need to be in place. And every company you pick is not going to be a winner. And you don't realize that till you do it. And once you do it and you see something drop 80, 90%, sometimes in a week or two, and you and it never recovers, then you realize, okay, this is a lot harder than I think it is, or I thought it was. Do you argue that every investor hits that wall at some point? Yeah. Because it's like if if you play the game long enough, yes, and the fact that you're not skilled is going to catch up with you. Right. Yep. Exactly. No, I, I think you can look throughout social media and see, air quote, one hit wonders, people that struck a big with one investment or whatnot, and sold it and made you know millions and got out, or people that built a business for ten years and then became a millionaire overnight when they sold their business and then. You know, they discover investing, but even then they're going to be a lot more, I guess, conservative with their money because they, you know, they worked really hard to get that money. And so they don't want to just frivolously give it away. So, yeah, I think everybody has comes to that come to Jesus point where, okay, this is a little harder than maybe I thought it was going to be. I need to spend more time learning what I'm doing. So you think there's a way a beginner investor can shortcut some of that or make the discovery of their risk tolerance less painful? Um, Asking you all the easy ones today. Yeah, right. right. (laughs) Well, I think a way that you can shortcut your path to success is finding a mentor that can help guide you along the way as you learn the ropes. So in other words... Somebody like you who's has an investment letter, the value spotlight is kind of the perfect medium or method of a training wheels. These are, this is somebody that's already gone through the heartache of buying things and losing sometimes big and learn from those mistakes. And then they can help guide you and teach you along the way of what kinds of things you need to learn, what you need to study what kinds of understanding you need to have, what kind of risk tolerance you may or may not have. But just even from observing outside, maybe you're not picking every single company that you suggest, but maybe they're picking every other, for example, or picking and choosing the ones that they like. And then maybe those you know, don't do as well initially and the other ones that maybe you passed on do really well. And then you kind of learn from you know those situations. And that, that's all normal and part of the the learning success. So I think finding a mentor like you can be really helpful to help kind of shortcut the, you know, go out and buy three picks that your uncle told you about at Christmas dinner, you know, and some of them could be great and some of them could be really bad. So I think that kind of thing can help shortcut the, maybe the, the big pain that you could feel. I would highly, 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 highly encourage people not to put their life savings into their first pick Go in slowly, dip your toes in like you're getting in, a, in the lake that you've never been in before. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know how cold the water is. Just dip your toe in slowly. Do not put everything you own into what you think is going to be the next Amazon. That is a recipe for disaster. So please do not do not do that. As far as learning, I guess I'm kind of drawing a blank. Do you have maybe an idea? 
Well, yeah, it's tough. I think if you can cultivate attitude of curiosity and learning, I think that can go a, a really long way. And try to not let your pride start welling up if you start picking some great stocks. And by the way, that applies to investors in year one and in year 10. Mm-hmm. So there's no like easy answer. And I found that there's a lot of great ways to learn about investing, to learn about stock picking, to learn about businesses. There's so many great ways to to absorb that knowledge and find opportunities. But what you can't do is stop learning. Because mm-hmm. once you do that, it's probably going to catch up with you. Yeah, no, that I wholeheartedly agree with. The market will humble you in a flat second. <laughs> and the minute you think you know everything, you are done because there is always something new to learn. There's always a new situation that will come up. Every company is different. And even within every company, every year, every quarter is going to offer different challenges and processes and things that you thought you would never encounter before. You think about Tesla, for example, very, very popular, very powerful company, growing business, Lots of great things going on within it. Elon Musk is, you know, Elon Musk. And, but what happens if he's not there? And how would people react to that company? How would the people within the company react? And how would the investors that are investing in a company react if he wasn't with the company anymore? Whether he left or whether he passed on or whatever. At some point, that's something everybody has to encounter. That's what's going on with Berkshire Hathaway with, with Charlie passing and Warren someday, unfortunately, will go as well. And so those are all things you will have to encounter. And so the market presents new, Mr. Market presents new opportunities every single day. (laughs) Yeah. The moment you stop learning, the moment you're done. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the Cybertruck does against like Rivian, for example. Right. I think Elon's been talking about the Cybertruck longer than Rivian's even been a company. Now you have just completely different market over there for the, the mm-hmm. SUV and the truck, electric vehicles. Endlessly fascinating, like you said. Yeah, endlessly fascinating. But that's that's what keeps us coming back. There you go. All right. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Please keep them coming. You can send them to newsletter at einvestingforbeginners.com. It will be in the show notes, so you can check that out. And you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.